Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. This is session 60. In this session, we'll be looking at John chapter 13, uh, which begins the Last Supper. So unless you're driving, turn to John chapter 13. Now let's get a couple of controversies out of the way uh, at the beginning here. Uh, some people who are skeptical about the truth of the Bible will suggest that there is a difference in chronology between John's gospel and the other three, um, and to which we would say, hey, so what? John isn't really interested in chronology. Some will say, hey, what, we're, what you're about to read in chapter 13 is not, in fact, the Last Supper, but just a meal sometime uh, during Passover, the week leading up to Passover. Um, and we say, uh, actually, to answer that question best, other than saying that John's not too concerned about chronology, the other thing that I would suggest that you do is refer to the handout that I have that goes along with this session 60 that gives uh, several possibilities for why the chronology of John's uh, account of the Last Supper, the timing of it, what night it was relative to the final Passover meal was, was, uh, was completed. But there's another more uh, uh, controversy regarding John's account of the Last Supper versus the other three Gospels. If this is, in fact, a Last Supper meal, as, as we know it, we, see, we will see that nowhere in this Last Supper account do we see the institution of the Eucharist which we do see in the other three Gospels. So a true skeptic might say, hey, uh, the Eucharist must not be what you Catholics say that it is, because if it was so important, why, would, why wouldn't John include it, uh, the, you know, the Eucharist, as part of the Last Supper? So how would you respond to that? Well, here would be my response. John, perhaps as much or more than any of the other Gospels, emphasized the Eucharist, and we just saw that a couple of sessions ago when we looked at John chapter 6, the longest chapter of the New Testament, where John, the, the entire bread of life discourse, and it is John who says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, or else you have no life in you, and if you want to remain in me, you know, you must... Uh, you know, uh, my flesh is true flesh and my blood is, is true uh, drink, etc., etc. Et so, uh, going along with that, John's gospel is, is recognized by virtually all, virtually all scholars as being the last one written. So, John assumes that you already got this from the other three Gospels. You know, John's Gospel is quite different than the other three. He adds things that the others don't, and he leaves out some things that the others do. doesn't mean that one is wrong or the other is wrong. It just means different emphasis. Okay, so we've got, um, uh, you know, the, the and besides, in John chapter 6, uh, Jesus is promising the Eucharist, 
and in the other three Gospels, we see where it is actually instituted. But what do we see in this meal that we don't see in the other three Gospels? We see Jesus washing the feet of the other apostles. We'll pick up on verse 5. It says, he began to worship, of chapter 13, he began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. So he's washing all of the disciples' feet. Now, uh, one thing that just shocks me is if it says that he washed the disciples' feet, who was one of those disciples whose feet that he washed? Yes, Judas, the very one that Jesus knew would betray him. And yet Jesus still loved Judas till the end, right? He didn't say, hey, I know what you're going to do. You know, I'm not washing your feet, etc." So Jesus' love for us is to the end of our lives and, and uh, regardless of what we do to him. So if you think that you are beyond Christ's love, if you think you are beyond Christ's forgiveness, uh, think of Judas here where Jesus washed his feet, and, and, it, and it says uh, a little bit before uh, in verse 2 that the devil had already in, induced Judas, son of Simon of Iscariot, to hand Jesus over. Okay, and Jesus would have known this, of course. So that just blows my mind that Jesus is willing to do that. I mean, if, if I were Jesus, I might have done something to Judas, but it wouldn't have been to wash his feet. So uh, there's a lesson in there for us. So we've got Peter, and Peter says, are you going to wash my feet? And in verse 7, Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will understand later. And uh, Simon Peter said um, um, to him, you will never wash my feet. So Peter's thinking, hey, you know, I don't want you to have a position of, of, of servanthood towards me, right? So that tells us Peter still doesn't totally get it yet, and he won't until after the resurrection. But Jesus said, unless I wash you, you will have no inheritance with me. So Peter says to then, you know, he's still a little slow on the uptake. He says, okay, then uh, wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus says, you know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a point here, okay? And the point is clearly, I want you guys to serve each other. In fact, one of the titles for the Pope is what? the servant of the servants of God. So Peter will get there. He's just not there yet. So he washed all of their feet. And then his lesson, you know, they're wondering, why is he doing this? Uh, verse 14, Jesus explains, if I therefore the master and teacher have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. Let's go back to this idea of washing feet. Okay, so... Um, Jesus is having those people, those, those apostles, um, expose their stinky, dirty, filthy feet to him, and he's going to clean them. Kind of symbolic of baptism, right? Where you take water, and in, in, in the baptismal act, you know, you wash away the sins 
and both original and um, and of course committed that a person may have, right? So you get a fresh start, okay? But in order to get a fresh start, you have to what? You have to expose your stinky, ugly, uh, dirtiness uh, to you know to make that happen. So that also reminds us of the sacrament of confession, doesn't it? Where you go in dirty and and you get cleaned up. So we've got a bunch of things going on here symbolically, baptism, perhaps confession, and then uh, also the idea of servanthood, right? Think of the best boss you ever had at work. And hopefully you had a good boss at some time in your career. But chances are, one thing that you would have liked about that boss, or if you didn't have such a boss, one thing that you would have liked a boss to have is the idea that uh, rather than just being a taskmaster, that they're going to help you do your job. You, know, you can perhaps recall a boss who would say, what can I do to help you do your job? Ideally, that's that's the case of a leader, and not just a uh, you know a taskmaster. It's not a it's not a master slave relationship. It's a father son relationship, and of course, any father wants his uh, children to succeed and will do whatever it takes to uh, help them to succeed. Well, we've still got the matter of uh, Judas yet. Uh, he's still at table. And Jesus says in verse 18, so that the scripture might be fulfilled, the one who ate my food has raised his heel against me. So I'd like you to underline the last part of this verse 18, and I'd like you to circle the word heel in there. Uh, first of all, where was this taken from? Uh, Psalm 41, verse 9. So Psalm 41, 9, you may want to, after you've circled the word heal, write that in your margins next to that. And uh, that is a, a Psalm of David. And in essence, David is saying, hey, I provided this guy food and uh, my friendship, and he raised his heel against me. That is to say, he turned against me. Um, by the way, if, if you go to cross-reference that, you really need a revised standard version Catholic edition to do that because the NAB, which you probably have, uh, dumbs, dumbs down the 41 uh, verse 9 or 10, depending on, you know, well, different versions uh, of it have slightly different uh, verse notations there. So it's either 41.9 or 41.10, depending on the edition that you have. But uh, they will correctly, or I should say more accurately, say in Psalm 41, 9 and 10, um, he, he will, um, you know, that my betrayer will raise his heel against me. It makes more sense, doesn't it, if, since Jesus is quoting it here. Where else do we see the term raising your heel or, you know, the term heel used? Well, at the very beginning of Bible, also right in your margins, Genesis 3, verse 15, where God is spelling out to Satan what's going to happen in the future after Adam and Eve's little mishap there in the garden. And God is saying he, you know, the future Messiah, Jesus, uh, will crush your head, but you will bruise his, you guessed it, heel, 
Okay, so what would you rather have, a crushed head or a bruised heel? So cause can Satan do some damage? Yeah, but can he can he kill you on his own? No, he can't do that. Okay, so, um, so then in verse 19, Jesus says, From now on I am telling you before it happens, so that when it happens you b may believe that, there it is again, I am, he's saying I'm, I'm God, and he says this to these guys at the at the Last Supper. Amen. I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, so that would be these disciples, receives me, and whoever receives uh, me receives the one who sent me. That's a good argument for apostolic succession on which the Catholic Church is based. You know, our popes, bishops, etc., all have been ordained by. Uh, previous uh, popes and or bishops who themselves can trace their spiritual lineage, their ordination back to these original 11 that are left uh, apostles, right? So right, apostolic succession next to uh, verse 20. Okay, then in the interest of time, you know, Jesus says, hey, you know, ones you're going to betray me. And, you know, they're saying, well, is it going to be me? Is it going to be me? And Jesus says in verse 26, it's the one to whom I hand the morsel after I have dipped it. So he dipped the morsel and took it and handed it to Judas. So we know Jesus knew that this was going to happen. Son of Simon Iscariot. Now, after he, after Judas, this is in verse 27, took the morsel Satan entered him. And it says in verse 30, so he, Judas, took the morsel and left at once. So Judas didn't stay till the end of the supper. And I probably mentioned to you before a sign on the back of one of the churches that I used to go to, one of the Catholic churches, uh, to prevent people from just going up and receiving communion and then walking right out the door and you know, leaving Mass early. It said, Judas left the Mass early too. And uh, that got a chuckle from a few folks, but uh, we see that it is a, a true uh, fact. Also, I, I want to point out, it's in going back to verse 27, after Judas took the morsel, Satan entered him. Uh, I'd like you to underline verse 27, and in your margins, uh, put, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. And then, of course, cross-reference that and write, you know, John, uh, 20, John 13, 27 next to, in the margins, next to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 through 30. And what does that say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 through 30? It says that, um, um, you know, if you, if you take the Eucharist, you know, uh, unworthily, you know, without recognizing the body of Christ, you know, you, you, uh, you do damage to yourself, right? And so it's important for us when we receive Eucharist to truly believe, as apparently Judas didn't, that Christ is present in, in the Eucharist, number one. And number two, to take Eucharist uh, in uh, in a state of grace, that is to say, 
having uh, conf being having confessed our uh, our uh, serious sins that are known to us before. So it's serious business, okay? So then Jesus gives a new commandment. It's really not new. Uh, he says, I give you, in verse 34, I give you a new commandment, love one another. Well, if you want to write in your margins, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, uh, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, but here we've got a, a, little, uh, a little extra wrinkle on this. He goes on and says, as I have loved you, so also you should love one another. Well, how is how does Christ love them? He loves them enough to die for them, just as he loves you enough to die for you. So he's talking about a self-sacrificing love. Or an example of that would be washing another's dirty, stinky, filthy feet. You know, serving others. So we might want to give some thought to who is it that we can be serving? Hopefully you're serving someone. You know, you start with your family. Then then you, you just go outward from there. Uh, who are your friends? Who are people that you run into each day? Who are people maybe that you don't even know that, that need serving? And we serve them. Why? Because Christ served us. And the ultimate act of service is to die to, so in order to pay the price for the sins that we richly deserve to pay for ourselves. So let's contemplate that as we, uh, as we move forward. Let's, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your example. We thank you for your servanthood. You could have chosen to be, you know, a, a God that we would fear in the, in the current definition of the word fear. You could, you could have chosen to be a, 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 you know, a master, have a master servant relationship over us. But instead, you kind of turn the tables and you're there for us. Uh, and we're so thankful that not only did you create us and give us all the good things in this world, but you're offering us all the wonderful things of the, the next world, which would only be possible through the, through the payment that, you, uh, you, know, that you, you did for us. So we thank you so much for do, being, uh, serving us in that regard and also for your example of, of how we should serve each other. We thank you for that model. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Okay, well, we're out of time. We're going to continue on with the Last Supper discourses as we look at chapter 14 next time.